Today we're starting a brand new uh, series I'm calling Guardians of the Family. And in this seven-week series, we're going to be uh, looking at the growing attack on the biblical family. We're going to talk about why young people must be our top priority. Uh, I'm going to dig into a little bit about the belief system of Gen Z and Gen Alpha. We're going to talk about the importance of having a biblical worldview. We're going to talk about why marriage is worth fighting for. We're going to talk about disciplining our kids in love. And uh, we're going to wrap it up on Father's Day calling men uh, the fact that real men love Jesus. And so it's going to be uh, a great series. I encourage you uh, to be here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to hit a lot of the cultural hot-button issues of the day. And my goal is to lay out for you God's agenda for the family, for marriage, and for training the next generation. And uh, we'll hit a lot of other exciting uh, issues that are driving the cultural narratives of the day. So I want to start off uh, this series by, by addressing the uh, demise of the family unit. Uh, the biblical and traditional institution that we call family is under attack in our culture today. The very terms that form the basis of family have now been thrown into question. Terms like man and woman and husband and wife and he and she. Uh, just reading the book of Genesis out loud can get you in hot water for not using culturally accepted terms. But if we don't read these passages and if we don't seek to understand God's intention for the very basis and purpose of life, then the next two generations, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, will not know God's purpose for marriage, for family, or procreation. Sex will become a meaningless pastime for personal pleasure without bonds uh, and without guilt. So today we're going to go right back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, and see what God had to say. So Genesis chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, there was no suitable helper. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and God... We long to hear from you. Uh, Lord, these good folks this morning have not come to hear from me. They've come to hear 
from you. And so God, if we read your word, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the truth you'd have us to receive. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each person here today. God, that each person would hear from you directly, that you would speak to them, whether it be through your word or whether it be through something that you may lead me to say, God, but that, that we would leave here challenged, that we would leave here convicted, that we would leave here inspired, that we would leave here committed to being the people you've called us to be, to do what you've called us to do. So Father, I just dedicate this time and these moments as we study your words uh, together this morning. Uh, Lord, just speak through me, I pray. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So talking about this passage, Ken Ham, the founder of Answers in Genesis, wrote this. He said, the family is the first and most fundamental of all human institution, institutions which God ordained in Scripture. And it is the educational unit which God uses to transmit his knowledge from one generation to the next. And I believe that Ken is right here. Before God uh, created or instituted the church, he instituted the family. Think about that. God didn't start by establishing a religion. He started by forming a family. And the family unit is the building block of a culture of a society, of a country, of a church. The first place that we should hear about God is in our family. And if someone wants to destroy a country or a culture or a society, they start by eroding the family. We see this right in the book of Genesis. Satan started his attack on the family right in the Garden of Eden, immediately attacked the family. He deceived Eve, Adam partook of the sin, and with a matter of no time, Adam and Eve's children, one killed the other, Cain killed Abel, and we saw the, the destruction of the family happening in the very first family. And since those early days, Satan has been waging a war on the family unit. The scripture tells us that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And there is no doubt in my mind that right now he is systematically trying to annihilate the biblical family. And it seems to me as if the war has intensified in the last number of years. Doug Phillips writes this. He says, every generation has its defining challenge. Ours is the systematic annihilation of the biblical family. You see, the real target in the attack on the family is the destruction of biblical morality. If you have a breakdown in biblical morality, you have a breakdown in the family, if you have a breakdown in the family, you have a breakdown in the nation. And I think that is what we're seeing and what we're living through right now. And church, we must guard against this. If the church does not rise up to stand for the family and biblical morality, who else will? Who else is going to do it? Will the government stand up and defend the family? Will academia set us straight on the real purpose of family? How about the medical profession? What about media and our favorite news organization? Are they going to take up the call to defend the family? You see my point? If we don't do it, who will? If we don't get serious about, about standing for the family, it'll only be a matter of time before it's all lost. This battle's been raging for thousands of years. Jesus dealt with it while he was on earth. Matthew chapter 19, verse three, it says, some Pharisees came to him, Jesus, to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? 
Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Jesus did for them 2,000 years ago the same thing I'm doing for us today and that is we go right back to the book of Genesis and we say, what did God say? What was the family supposed to be? God ordained marriage. God brought Eve to Adam. God performed the first wedding. He established it as a permanent institution among men. So that's why at Venture we believe and we teach the traditional and biblical definition of marriage. And by that, I mean marriage is ordained by God. Marriage must be between one man and one woman. Marriage is characterized by leaving the authority structure of one parent and joining together to form a new authority structure. Marriage is a picture of the relationship of Christ to the church, and marriage is a covenant before God between a man and a woman. And so that is the biblical definition of marriage, and that has been called into question today. Not unlike when Satan asked Eve, hath God really said? If you remove the biblical foundation based in the word of God, then anything goes, right? It's like anybody can define anything. Just change the meaning of, of everything. Here's what I know. Most, most Christians in churches today believe the Bible and they hold to a biblical definition of marriage, but they are pressured to conform and to just stay quiet and stay out of the fight. Sadly, that approach does nothing to train the next generation about what God has said about marriage. Many Christians have missed the true nature of this fight because we've swallowed the secular propaganda that tolerance means being neutral on social and moral issues. In other words, church, you can believe what you want to believe. That's fine. You can believe what you want to be. Just keep your mouth shut about it. Just be quiet about it. Well, you can believe whatever you want to in your house, but just don't be talking about it outside, right? And so many times we just like, okay, well, we don't want to upset anybody. And so we don't speak the truth. And are we going to be shocked when we find out that a generation or two from now, there is no biblical marriage, there is no biblical foundation, and there's no definition of biblical morality in our land. Church, we must defend marriage and the family or the downstream results will be catastrophic. Society and culture will further erode <clears throat> until such time as God turns us over to a reprobate mind. Paul warned about this in Romans chapter one, verse 28. He said, furthermore, just as they did not like to think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They're gossipers, slanders, God-haters, insolvent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve those who practice them. My friends, if and when this happens, our world will be a scary place to live. I believe that we are already seeing the beginning stages of this behavior. I hope and pray it's not too late. 
But we cannot just shrug our shoulders and say, well, what are we gonna do? Well, we need to wake up from our slumber. That's what we need to do. We need to get our heads in the game. We need to realize and recognize the reality of the world that we live in. We need to read God's word. We need to pray for our kids and for our families and for our marriages. We need to stop the cycle of silent consent and push back against those who are attacking God, his word, and our Christian way of life. Or as Jesus said, we need to be light in the midst of darkness. Christian parents, you need to be asking some tough questions. Why do transgender people want to read books to our kids in the libraries? Why are beverage companies pushing social issues on their cans? Why do children's entertainment companies incessantly bombard our kids and grandkids with sexualized content? Why are schools putting sexually graphic materials in the school libraries? Why is that all happening? Because our society is engaged in a culture war and the very fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith are being challenged. If they can destroy the foundation of the Genesis account of creation, of God's purpose for mankind, then it's only a matter of time before everything else comes crashing down. So what are we to do? Well, parents, it starts with you taking full responsibility for teaching and training your children. You cannot hand that sacred right and privilege off to anyone else, even the church. We're here to help, but we cannot do in one to two hours a week what you can do with your kids 24-7. You have to accept the responsibility for teaching and training your kids. Deuteronomy 6.6, clear back in the law, says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's he saying here? He's saying every opportunity that you have to teach the word of God to your kids, do it. If you're riding in the car, if you're in the minivan, if you're sitting in the house, if you're around the dinner table, whenever you have the chance, be teaching these kids the truth, the biblical authority about who God is and who they are and what God wants for them. Very practically, parents, read to your kids. Get good books and read to them. Spend time with your kids sitting on your lap and read to them. Spend time with your kids. Teach them the word of God. Help your kids to memorize scripture. Ask them questions. Let them ask you questions. Monitor their media input. Be that parent that sets boundaries for your kids. Don't worry what anybody else thinks or says. You set the boundaries for your family that you feel should be there. Next, commit yourself to a godly marriage. Invest in your relationship with your spouse. The best thing you can do for your kids is to love your spouse. Spend time together. Be affectionate in front of your kids. They should see you holding hands, kissing, hugging, and the occasional love pat in the behind. That's okay, you know? <laughs> It's all right. My wife can't keep her hands off of me. It's just the way it is, you know? <laughs> Invest in reading some books that'll improve your marriage. 
You know, listen, the, the, the five challenges to marriage are the same today as they were 20, 30, 50 years ago. Communication, finances, sex, in-laws, and children. Those are, those are the main issues you're going to face. Get some books and read about them and learn how to be better communicators. Learn how to work through the finances together. Figure out how to raise kids together. But, but invest in your marriage. Parents, get off your phone at night. Shut it off. Put it in a basket. Stick it in the freezer. I don't care. <laughs> Sit down and have a meal together. Great things happen around the dinner table. Great. I'm doing a whole series this fall uh, entitled Meals with Jesus. If you look at the times that Jesus sat down and, and just had meals with people and how important that was and the, and the things that got discussed around the dinner table. Do that. Go on family walks or hikes. Explore nature. I read this week that the average kid spends nine hours a day on their phone. And the average adult spends six hours a day on their phone. Is there anybody here who thinks this is going to end well? That that is going to be a good thing? That look how much brighter our kids are going to be, how much more godly our families are going to be downstream when we're spending all this time just looking at our phones. Shut them off. Spend time with your families. Talk. Grandparents, you have a role in this too. You need to be there as a support to help your kids, and you need to help raise those grandkids. You are part of the battle for the next generation. I mean, your grandkids are being attacked. I was at a conference earlier this year that says when it comes to reaching the next generation, the first one there wins. Well, we need to commit to be the first ones there. Parents and grandparents, we've got to get there and we've got to, we've got to share the truth. We need to. We need to be on guard. We need both an offensive and a defensive posture in this battle. On offense, we need to be intentional in our efforts to reach the next generation. We need to be intentional in training our kids and our grandkids. As a church, we are being very intentional about reaching the next generation. We are committing tremendous resources into our youth and children's ministry programs. The, the facility that we're building is strategically designed for reaching young people because that's, that's the importance that we see. We are committing significant millions of dollars into our youth and children's ministries. We're looking forward to opening a midweek Awana program and, and doing whatever we can to get the word of God into the hearts of the kids. That's part of an offensive position, but we also need to have a defensive position. We need to be on guard. We need to establish layers of protection for our kids. We need to protect them from harmful content and false narratives. Nearly every form of media is working against the biblical account of God's plan for man. Across the board, everybody is against God's plan. The Marxist leftists are redefining history and are confusing our young people. Winston Churchill, and I saw a statue of him this last week there uh, right outside uh, Westminster Abbey. <clears throat> Winston Churchill led Britain to victory in World War II. He saved Britain from Adolf Hitler and from Nazi Germany, and he succeeded because he, Winston, was absolutely steeped in history. He was a student of history. 
And as a result, he was able to foresee what was coming from Germany and protect Britain because he knew history. He was able to see what was coming in the future. And if you don't know history, you're not going to see what's coming in the future. And many of today's educators ignore, erase, and rewrite history to suit their own purposes. They push aside facts and emphasize emotions and impressions and feelings to determine what is true and what is right. And this is a classic tool of dictators and tyrants. They bully people into accepting their truth regardless of evidence or fact. They play on people's emotions. They stir up crowds with their irrational frenzy and they inspire this fanatical falsehood. Church, we must stand up to this. We can't isolate our kids from the world in which they live, but we can insulate them. We can't keep them out of it, but we can protect them within it. We need to be ready to give them answers to the questions that they have. We must be on guard. In the Old Testament, the last book before we get to the New Testament, in the book of Malachi, chapter two, verse 15, it says, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Two times in this passage, we see the same phrase from Malachi, be on your guard. My friends, I think that is, that is true for us today as well. We need to be on guard. Today is graduation Sunday. We're gonna honor a couple graduating seniors here this morning to our young adults and high school graduates, be on your guard as you move into this next phase of your life. College campuses are the breeding grounds for anti-God and anti-Christian biases. Professors will attack your faith, the Bible, and the very existence of God relentlessly. Do not be intimidated by their rhetoric. There are intelligent and biblical answers to all of their objections to Christianity. So stand firm in your faith. Know what you believe. Your, your faith needs to be your faith, not your parents' faith or your church's faith. You need to have your faith. You need to know what you believe. And when your faith gets challenged, come back and talk to us who can help you and can put the answers into your hand. Just know that whatever they're going to throw at you, there is an answer to that. But they're going to make it sound as if, they're going to make it sound as if, uh, you're crazy. I heard one this, this week. I read it while I was on the cruise. A professor was trying to give a rational reason for why he was an atheist and a young Christian student stood up and, and said, well, I believe in God. And, and uh, this professor said, well, no, the reality is you're an atheist. The student's like, what are you talking about? He said, well, you're just, a, you know, he says, there are 2,680 gods in the world that people worship today. You just only believe in one. So you are an atheist to 2,659 gods. You just happen to believe in one, but you're an atheist to all the rest. And I just happen to be an atheist to all of them. And the poor kid didn't know how to respond. 
Can I tell you that there are responses, there are answers, there are intelligent responses to all of these objections to Christianity. If you get stumped, come talk to one of us. Call your youth pastor. Come see one of the pastors. Call somebody. But don't just let those kind of, those kind of comments begin to erode your faith and cause you to walk away. Understand that there is an agenda to destroy the faith of the next generation. Church, family is worth fighting for. Moms and dads, I challenge you to be guardians of your family. Fight for it. A godless, secular society has a full-scale attack plan for the deconstruction of the faith of your kids. Everything that we teach these kids from the time they're young until they graduate and go off, as soon as they get out there, there is, an, there is a planned attack on deconstructing their faith. We must stand up and fight. We must kneel down and pray. We must link arms together for the sake of our kids because they are worth fighting for. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> our hearts are broken as we look at the condition of the world today and we see we just see the secular influence that's permeating society and our culture and, and even the church in many, many cases. God Almighty, we want to stand for the truth. We want to stand for the word of God. We want to, we want to help moms and dads and husbands and wives to have strong families and strong marriages. We want to reach these kids with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to instill in them the truth. We want to instill in them biblical morality. We want them to know the truth, what you've said, how we were formed, how we were created, that we have a purpose, that there is a plan. And God, that you, you designed us wonderfully and you have a plan for each person. So God, help us. Help us as families to stand strong, even in the midst of this battle. Help us as a church to equip parents and grandparents and children with the truth. And God, I pray that you would help Venture Church to reach the kids in this community, the youth, the teens, the college and career, those in grade school and middle school, those the youngest kids. God, help us to train them, to pass our faith on to the next generation. God, we pray for our country. We pray for our land at this time. Lord, uh, we certainly do not want to see the day where you would just say, hands off, and you turn this country over to a depraved mind. God, what a scary place that would be. God, we need you. We cry for your mercy. We ask for your help. Show us what you'd have us do. Give us strength. Provide the resources we need to re reach the next generation with the gospel. God, help us to be guardians for the family. Father, we love you this morning. We praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.